going on people welcome back to detroit is different the podcast today i got a very special guest it was very cool podcast i had with philip cooley he's the owner of slow's barbecue one of my favorite restaurants in the city of detroit and also just a cool trendy place one of the few places where you can get a great feel for what's happening in detroit for the next generation I talk about his past, his history, his time as a male model. I also talk about how he learned how to repurpose so many materials that are inside Slow's Barbecue. So when you're in Slow's Barbecue, you're looking at a whole lot of design that was put together by Philip Cooley and a host of others that built that restaurant. This is a very cool podcast, inspirational in the idea about getting started with a business idea or getting started with creativity. Hope you love it. Hope you listen. Visit www.detroitisdifferent.com to find out more information like this. Thank you so much. Once again, Detroit is Different podcast, 7 o'clock Saturday stories. I got Phil Cooley here with my mom and my Aunt Joyce, two of the people that were here for the first one. And then the rest are like ghost dad people. I don't know where you're at. It's a lot of stuff happening right now in Detroit. African World Festival. It was something over by Slows. You said it was like a Tokyo Drift Fair or something. It's a Tiger wow. game, it's a Dream Cruise, and then it's the summer and it's Saturday. Who knows? But all the people will forevermore have this documented as one of the interviews right now. Open-ended questions, hopefully like most of my guests, I can get you to answer some things, go deeper into everything you're talking about. Mr. Cooley, how you feeling today? I'm feeling great, I'm done working, I'm hanging out with you, this is awesome. Thank you, sir. You got some German chocolate cake, via my mom the greatest person i know thank you and one of her mentors my aunt joyce the big sister well one of the big sisters i got my aunt shirley as well they're the big three in my family so you know it goes like that so with that because really i kind of start this off all the time talking about your history in the sense of like how you're tied to the city of detroit and tell me a little bit about your ties to the city of Detroit. Yeah, you know, I actually grew up in a rural town north of here. Uh, it was a, a really great uh, upbringing. It was a town of 8,000 people. And um, so one thing that it was lacking was, you know, that density that I love um, in urban environments. And so I snuck off down here for, you know, arts and culture all the time. Um, when I, you know, as soon as I basically turned 14, 15, I come down with some older friends. But when I turned 16, I was down here a lot, um, you know, mainly food and music primarily, but also some art as well. And so the, the thing is, like, for me as a young person, I saw myself in Chicago um, which is where I went to school. I got a film degree from Columbia College. Um, and what ended up happening after living there for four years and then traveling overseas for work immediately after I graduated and working for two years, um, I started to kind of think about what would be the next 
uh, step, you know, for me because my job at the time, I was I was a model, believe it or not, for two years, um, and it was wonderful because I got to travel the world, but it was also really shallow because um, the you know the industry is fine. It's a, it's a really creative industry, but being a male model, I was a clothes hanger. You know, I didn't really do anything creative. I just stood there and sometimes stood there for a long time holding still. Um, but so I wanted to like, I wanted to go somewhere. And after being in all these great cities, what I really wanted was like a blend of where I grew up, which was community and accountability. And then also like this big city that was, you know, vibrant and filled with art and life and people. And so I didn't believe the nonsense that a lot of people, um, you know, kind of shared uh, in, in the media. Uh, what I believe was like in every record store I went to overseas, like they were playing Jay Dilla, they were playing the White Stripes, they were playing, you know, and people were talking about Tyree Guyton. And so what I saw was beauty um, in art. And so that was now in a city where I didn't really see myself. Um, and understand after traveling the world and meeting people and, and opening up a lot more, like it was the only place that I could imagine myself living. So 12 years ago, I, I moved to Detroit without knowing a single person, um, but just just knowing and hearing all the things and seeing all the things happening here, I knew this was a place where I felt it was this was a democratic city where I could have a voice and I could participate. Because even though I was young and dumb, I still wanted to, you know, I wanted to, to be somebody to, to vote, to stand up, to do something. Okay, two things. I'm going to say uh, just technically lean over a little bit more Sorry. so into the mic. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's one thing. And then the second thing, I kind of wanted to pick up and congratulate you on being the first guest thus far that is the first Detroiter to step foot. Most people's families were already here, definitely kind of tied to what was happening with the work and everything. Mm -hmm. But when you said small town here in Michigan, where, what town was that? Oh, it was on Marysville, Michigan. So it was um, the first city south of Port Huron. It's about an hour north of here. Okay. So what was it like any connection when you were there, like as far as friends and what was happening when you were younger coming to Detroit? Did you all consider yourself Lions fans? Pissed? Well, I don't know if you can be a Lions fan, but, you know, yeah. did you yeah. all watch? Well, I mean, like superficially, yeah, we'd come down here for the, all that stuff. But um, more along my like true loves and I'm still I got a guilty pleasure for the, the, the Tigers don't get me wrong but um, like there, I did have one friend Ethan Fraley that would uh, continually like come down here for different whether it was you know he was really big in the electronic music scene uh -huh. but he was into everything so you know it would be metal one night it would be hip hop the next night it would be a rave the next night so um, he was the one person that explored and left our, our small little town to go see what was actually happening. And so that that was the, I mean, that's what I still relate to today, and that's still that one thing that uh, led me back to, you know, to moving here. Okay, and then Chicago. So Chicago's kind of like a brother-sister city, as my Aunt Joyce, she's from Chicago. Yep, yep. It's there, everybody in Detroit has family in Chicago and vice versa. So, what do you see the similarities and the differences between the two cities? Because a lot of times Detroiters say, especially politicians and business people and artistic people say, Detroit needs to be more like Chicago. Detroit needs to be more like Chicago. That's generally one of the lines I hear most from a lot of people. I hear it, and no offense to Chicago, I love Chicago, but I think Chicago needs to be more like Detroit, in, in my in opinion, what, from where in I'm what sitting. Well, I mean, it's just like when I lived there, I didn't feel a part of the community. Like, I felt like there was so much segregation and divide um, that 
I felt, yeah, it was strange. Even in like small little cliques, like you had to wear a certain coat to like be able to go play music with those folks. And it was just like, for me, I was, you know, I wanted to hang out with crazy people that were doing different things with me. I didn't want to just hang out with all the same people. Mm-hmm. That was really boring. And I felt like I didn't have that opportunity as much when I lived there. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a great city. It's a beautiful city. Um, but I, I think that they do have issues. Sometimes success can, you know, lead to, um, you know, in my opinion, uh, long-term problems. And I, I see that. I, I, I saw a lot of my friends get um, displaced and forced out of neighborhoods there where they had lived for decades um, because, because of it, its uh, economic growth and all that excitement that happened there. So hopefully, you know, when we go through those things, we're a little more thoughtful and we can, you know, make sure that people aren't getting displaced, that, are, that everyone is a part of it truly, and that's an all boats ride with the tide philosophy. Because, you know, the reality is, is not just in the United States, but in most, most places, we, we've done a really terrible job at doing that. And so that, that frustrated me of living there is like over and over again. It was like one neighborhood to the next. You know, when my brother um, started going to school there, he went to DePaul University in Lincoln Park, where he lived at the time, you know, orientation was scary. They were like constantly frightened kids. There's rapes here, and there's call, emergency buttons here, and blah blah. I mean, this was a this is the jazz neighborhood. Like this is a um, this is a lot of amazing venues, music, and life going on there. And now it's it's like it gets made fun of constantly for being one of the most you know expensive and, and homogenized communities in in Chicago. So and that's. You know that's a span of 20 years so i just wonder you know for us what what are we going to look like um what are you know what, what do we want as citizens you know do we want to stay and fight and have ownership or we want to just uh, be, be be pushed out i think the reality is, is it's not even about being pushed out it's about finding a way to work together that you know sadly we haven't done yet done right yet we're the we're the city where this could happen okay and I definitely want to touch on that because it's a lot of different opposing views about your restaurant. But before we even get into that, male modeling, how did you even start <laughs> doing that? Man, I was, I was hung over at film school. And so I, had, I looked terrible and had, you know, baggy um, pants on and a baggy jacket on. So I didn't, you know, it's not like that I, I looked like good or anything like that. I was just walking home from class and... Uh, an agent asked me if I was a model and you know I had a, a lot of gay friends in, in Chicago so I'd been you know in, in gay bars before so this, I wasn't like mm-hmm. you know homophobic or anything so I, you know I kind of laughed thought he was hitting on me uh-huh. um, and said you know no and he, he handed me his card and asked me to come in and uh, you know and he's he must have been a starving artist at the time to believe that yeah, no, he was. He's from Ford Modeling Agency, so they're a huge agency. Oh, okay. So it helped that he. Did came you from- already know that was a huge modeling? Like, if if that same thing happened to me, I would be thinking like, Is yeah. this like some type of hustle or something? No, that's exactly what I, I thought. But I had kind of heard of the modeling agency oh, before, okay. and then when I asked other people, they're like, No, that's like that's oh, so legitimate. You <laughs> oh yeah, so, okay. You got I didn't just go card. running okay, right yeah, in I'm the next up day. There, like thinking that the next day you you're like in some. Uh, studio 
that was just put together like a uh, boiler room movie and then they're like okay if we can just do no. your headshots for five hundred dollars no it was like for real for real he's still in the industry he's a great guy he's a friend of this day and and a lot of people in that industry were just really amazing so i got to travel the world like i said and you know when i lived in these cities i didn't know anyone i would go they'd fly me there and i'd get an apartment or i'd stay in a you know at the end it was like hostels and one-star hotels it got pretty dirty being a male model there's not a lot okay. for a guy like me there's not a lot of money in it so uh, one-star hotels we'll definitely touch on that in a second but <laughs> just the industry itself like what what would it be would it be like runway shows were you doing that or were you yeah. doing like catalog stuff or what what was it like no i mean because i'm not like a you know catalog guys you know I, I have those no guys are like all stuff. ripped and you know uh-huh. i was a skinny weird looking kid that make made Kate Moss not look so weird, you know? So they, anyone that was like emaciated and six one, mm-hmm. they would just, you know, stand in there, you know, stand next to Kate Moss and, and make her look somewhat normal. And so for me, it was, um, I, I would work for like Louis Vuitton a lot. I did their show, their runway show, like six seasons in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did they give did, you any free clothes and stuff like that? No, man. One of the jackets was $12,000 that I wore. I don't think they were going to give me that for free. Oh, ain't that so. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, I take that back. You know, one of the, the – um, so Mark Jacobs at the time was the um, the men's – and men's and women's, actually, uh, designer for Louis Vuitton for that, that house. And, um, you know, he, he would be the name that they had. Uh-huh. But he was doing his own line. He's doing so many things. Um, so the reality is he had his, his right-hand guy who did – much of the work, which is this guy Keith Warren, who's this incredible guy, an incredible designer, and he, he when I after I uh, quit that, at one point he came and visited me and then brought me the original shirt that almost got him and Mark fired. It was like the first season that got really panned, and so never mm-hmm. went into production, and like it was down in the vault in the basement. So he snuck snuck it out of there and gave it to me. That's and, cool. Yeah, it was really that was that was about it though. Okay, now. I believe in the whole Miyagi theory, like you learn things from one thing and apply it to the next. Cause you are, music's your thing like at heart. Yeah, music and well design really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I was coming back here to do film and music, but I ended up um, started building things out of necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought a, a, a building for $40,000. So um, that means it needs everything. You know, it was, you know, new roof, new electricity, new plumbing, new, so I had to learn a lot of that stuff. And so now I'm a general contractor, I I do design work. Um, And so that has kind of taken over, but I still, you know, I still love, you know, art in general, so. But I was just gonna ask, like, how did, did just, as you were learning that, just being a model, as you were learning that whole traveling and interacting with people, seeing different things, like, I don't know what that would be. That seems like such a different world, especially for a guy to be in and into from music and from school and then to be so young. Like, how do you think that has left an impression on, like, most of the things that you do in the future? Well, it gave me confidence to come back to Detroit, a city where I didn't know anyone, because that's what I was doing. You know, I was 22 when I started modeling and 24 when I quit. And, um, you know, living in places where you don't know anyone or don't even speak the language you know you're, you're really reliant on your neighbors and, and strangers and there's mm-hmm. a lot of trust and so I didn't learn anything from the industry necessarily I mean it, again it is a creative industry so it was really inspiring to watch some really talented people create some pretty beautiful things but as a whole like it was really about 
you know, traveling and, and meeting people and understanding people um, from, you know, because I, I was all over the world. I was in Asia and, and Europe and, and a little bit in New York City. And so it was, it was just about opening up my mind, you know, you know, because I really felt even somewhat sheltered in Chicago uh, to an extent because, I, like I said, I never felt attached and part of that community. Okay, so you make your decision. You're coming to Detroit. You get on the phone, tell your family. What's their response to it? Oh, man, well, I mean, pretty, pretty typical, I guess. My, well, my parents have always been, like, the most supportive people in the world, um, which was great. So they kind of jumped in. I mean, they live in Detroit now, so that mm-hmm. didn't take long. Um, okay. So everyone was a little bit like, what are you talking about? And then when they saw the, the building that I bought, like this abandoned mess, they're like, oh, my God, this, is, this has gotten even worse. So my grandparents now, you know, they're, they're an older generation. At, at this point. They sadly passed away. Um, but, they, you know, they supported a lot of what I did down here. But when I, when I said I was coming down here, they were, they were like, nervous. You know, they, they believed in so many of the stereotypes of that, how dangerous mm-hmm. the city was and all this, this kind of stuff. And... Um, fortunately, they got to experience the city through me living here and them coming down and seeing the things that were happening and to be able to change their perception before they passed because they love this city. And, um, you know, but my, my parents, it was, it was great because my brother actually still lived in Chicago. He lived there for 10 years. Hmm. And um, him and his wife were actually a bit jealous um, of all the fun I was having <laughs> and how fun all my friends were when we'd come visit them in Chicago. Uh-huh. And they were also jealous because they felt the city was a better place to raise a family than in Chicago. Um, she worked for Oprah and he, um, and Leo Burnett, and he worked for um, uh, the uh, sorry a small community bank. So he did lending there. Okay. And they both worked at least six days a week, you know, and they bur- both worked on a lot of nights. And so to to make it there, they they felt like they weren't going to be able to have you know, that life that they want, which is dinner every night with their kids to be engaged in their, their activities, you know, after school and in the summer. Um, and so they actually moved here, um, cause they thought this was a better place to raise a family. So, so basically you were the gateway to bringing your whole family here. Uh, I'll You're take like credit the first for that. story yeah. uh, of that generally is I was already here. You brought your parents, you brought your brother, you yep. brought yep. his wife, and their uh, kids. They've, they've got three kids now. So, okay. Um, and yeah, I mean the thing is, I'll take credit for that. But they, they, the reason I'm successful is because we all work together, and they, they're the business side of all the crazy stuff that I do. So without them, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this. So I'm glad uh, I. That was the one thing I did right was dragging them here. So. Okay, so how much convincing did it take? Not at all. Like, well, well, for my brother and sister-in-law like they made that choice on their own hmm. you know they were ready when they were visiting they were just blown away so they saw the building yeah they Even saw though, what yeah. you were doing and they yeah. know you they're like okay yeah. we're about to have to help it was out. more friends that saw it and made, okay. made all the i mean in lovingly and many jokes were made uh, about the building and about me um but the uh for me it was it, it wasn't difficult my, my brother and sister made that decision really on their own and as soon as the little grandkids came out, you know, mom and dad forgot all about Ryan and I and just mm-hmm. started, you know, being grandma and grandpa. And they moved That's in cool. immediately. Yeah. That's cool. So 
with that being said, you said $40,000, the building, yeah. and this is kind of moving to like what people know you for. And it's so weird. I think Slow's Barbecue is one of the coolest places in the city of Detroit. But Thank it's you. also polarizing to a lot of the activist people I know and some of the black people because it's like those people at Slow's Barbecue are kicking out the homeless people in the park across the street. And it's like, hold <laughs> on, man, seriously? Like, I haven't seen that. Yeah, but no, yeah. before we even get to all of that discussion, $40,000, where did you get the money to buy the building? Um, so that was basically the 40000 was savings. That's what I had in my bank account. You were a disciplined man. Yeah, but that was it. And so the slows would have never happened without. So no bank was going to give me a loan or no. even my partners who are really talented. And the reason slows open, it was, a, it was another big team effort. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't have given us any money. So my dad co-signed on a loan for us So because mm -hmm. um, they would give him a loan because he had the resources to pay them back Give if the it failed yeah. yeah exactly what uh who, who was the team so um so it's funny so when i moved here like i said i didn't know anyone and it's hard to get a job in detroit um, unless you know somebody you it, got that right yeah there's a lot of nepotism here so oh, man. i ended up um you know even though i had bartending experience and worked in kitchens every position i couldn't couldn't get a job to save my life in the in the in the uh in the food industry so how I long were you looking uh, I would say, I want to say like four months or so. Mm. Yeah, it was a while. I, I ended up, um, I ended up taking a job as a janitor at the logger house on mm. the weekends. Like they had a normal janitor, but they gave me, um, Saturday, Sunday shift. Um, and then they gave me, uh, or not they, uh, a different company was the Buddha lounge. I was the bar back on Friday nights. I know the Buddha lounge yeah, on awesome. Telegraph. It, uh, no, uh, not far from Telegraph. Uh, Lasser. Well, yeah, yeah Lasser. I always say Telegraph. Yeah, 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 right by Telegraph. I've had some good hip hop shows there. You were probably maybe there one of those hip hop yeah, nights. Absolutely. So you were like the uh, black dude in Back to the Future. Yeah, where he's exactly. Like sweeping up. <laughs> well, some ice cream shop, and they're like, "I'm gonna be mad." It's like, "I'm gonna own a bar." It's like, "Yeah, whatever, man. Clean up, <laughs> clean up table too." Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no. another Miller High Life. <laughs> I was, you would probably re remembered Virginia, the bartender, because she was pretty. I was just running mm -hmm. around getting her ice and making sure her bar was stocked. So it was some good open mic. I f I'm forgetting who. Okay, Renaissance Man ran an open mic there. This is Detroit hip hop stuff. And who else? Somebody else ran an open mic up there a couple times. It's down the street from, it's down the street from Northland Skating Rink. And now it's called something else, I think. I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, I went there the uh, a, a month ago. So the the doorman like looked at my wife and I, and they were just like, "Are you what lost?" They asked are you, you doing? Yeah, they're like, "Are you lost?" And they're yeah, like, exactly. "We're just kidding." Get it? They were cool about uh, it, but they, yeah. they had a crack a joke, of course. So uh -huh. um, no, it was, it's uh, it's it, it, it was a great experience. And the guy who built Buddha Lounge was one of the original partners, and then another guy. Um, that was slinging burritos one night at the logger house uh, while I was uh, also an employee there. You know, we, we were keeping, there's punk rockers and motorcycle guys that were going at it. They were trying to, the punk rockers were trying to get in a fight with these motorcycle guys. And we were just trying like to, a good decision. no, yeah, we were trying to help the punk rockers from getting beat up further and just standing in between them because no one wanted any more trouble. And sure enough, um, guy standing next to me is a really talented chef he was just checking out of the fine um dining world because he was burnt out from it and so i said you know come check out this building i bought in uh tomorrow morning and most of my other friends in detroit this is a really creative place i love it but 
a lot of my friends couldn't wake up at eight in the morning. So when he yes. showed up, <laughs> yes, many creatives don't. Yeah. When he yeah. showed up the next morning, you know, ready to go. I was like, well, that's, yeah, he's still that's one of the hardest sign. workers I know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just great. It was, he, he brought in a chef friend of his that he was working with, um, during build out. He's like, you know, I need some help. And it was just a, it was a great experience. So, okay. So now you kind of got the team. Yep. Step two is moving forward with the design of everything. Yep. So the layout and one of the things, even in my post, I had a post on Detroit is different right now. It's if Detroit had a drink. That's when I saw you a couple weeks back. I was yep. just asking Rob and Eric, what would it be? And one of the things Eric said he loves about slows is the way that the U, the U bar, as opposed yep. to like, and then as wide as it is. Yep. So if you're listening to this, go to slows barbecue or Google it. Google map it. No, just go there, have a drink, chill, kick it, look at the bar. It's a different type of design. It's the feel. It's, it's, how how yeah. did you how did you come to that idea? It was definitely the focal part. We didn't know what we were doing, first of all. Okay. Um, you know. Most great ideas come from that. I was just talking about that to you and my Aunt Joyce like a second ago. Yeah. So you never know, you know, you just, and you work hard and you the thing is that as long as you can be honest about that and you can adjust, right? Like mm -hmm. you can you can learn from your, your failures and and build on your successes, you know? And so we were able to do that um, because, you know, we all thought we'd be working there seven days a week for the rest of our lives, that this is a small little joint. We, you know, we had no intention. Like we thought we were gonna be a bar. Yeah. And that's why the bar was built in, this, in the way that it was as such a focal point. We had no idea our food would be that popular. Um, and so that was, uh, that was obviously a pleasant surprise to us, but you know, that, that whole feel in there is just, the buildings were in really rough shape. You know, when we, we, when you walk through the front door, like there was a 20 foot by 30 foot hole from the basement all the way to the sky. There was dead dogs in the basement, like rodents. It was, it was nasty. Okay. Who did a lot of that cleaning up? That was myself and Dean. Um, oh my God. So that that was. Do you the, still smell of, that stuff when you think about it? Oh man, I I was doing that. I was in a basement today working, so I probably smell like it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um, it was it was it was a great experience. I remember we we started going to like deconstruction, um, uh, 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 um what's it, what is it, what is it called? conferences? Sorry, deconstruction conferences later on after we opened up and. You know, and Dean knew a little bit about this ahead of time, but I really didn't know what reclaimed materials and any of that stuff was. It wasn't because we were green. You know, we wanted to be environmentalists. We just didn't know how to be. Mm -hmm. And um, we were throwing away. So we had to cut out all that old wood because it was structurally unsound. And so we were throwing that in the dumpster, and it just got, got to a point where we're just like, man, we don't have any money at all. And so we started taking it out of the dumpster. Like, we pulled it right back out, and then... We started working with it because we had to, and then we started saying, "Man, this is beautiful stuff." And so we kind of stumbled, or I kind of stumbled at least, from personally on deconstruction uh, as an accident. It's, it's been around since the '70s. People have been doing it, and the term has been around for the '70s since the '70s. People have been doing it forever, but um, it was really, it was really great because it was really it's the challenge that you know forced us into this. And so all that wood you see in there, that was all that stinky, nasty stuff that we mm. planed and cleaned up. And even though it's structurally obsolete, it makes great tables. It makes great, you know, finish works. So 
we try to reuse as much as we could in, in the field of that space. Speaking of wood, and one of the coolest things, actually, Lord knows, and I actually want to, uh, you could be like, hey man, I need to use that. But I, for one of my, my first music video I shot a long time ago, Grown Man Business with Oren Goldenberg, that door, I used that door. Nice, thank you. You may need to like get some royalties from that. No, man. I want to ask you for it. I'm be like, hey man, you need to get a marketing contract <laughs> with my company next. <laughs> but, but that door to Slow's Barbecue is amazing. What, like, what, what's that? That was, I mean, that was also, like, Dean and I um, worked really well together, but at the same time, that was, like, Dean was very much like, all right, you can learn under me and work with me, but he didn't, he didn't usually work with people, you know, he was always mm-hmm. kind of that lone wolf guy, and so it was, it was, it was pretty awkward, um, uh, the design process, trying to collaborate with him, and so that was, that pushed me a lot, and fortunately, his girlfriend really encouraged I, mean, I I did that door, and that was part of the back wall. It's you all kind that? of that. Yeah, yep. You made that door. I made the door. That door yeah. is amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. I thought you were gonna say, "Well, we shipped that in from no, no Switzerland." We had to do everything. It was, and we we had our friends helping us a little bit too. We were able to hire some folks and some some really and, and all those folks still How long are, did, are, let, are close I gotta ask this because awesome. I love that door. How long did it take to make? Man, I don't even remember that. That whole project took two years. So <laughs> we okay. were in there forever. Okay. That door specifically, I bet you that door took me, you know, a good 16 hours or something like that. But it's a, I was such a nerd and so excited to learn all that stuff that mm-hmm. I, could, I could, you know, just kind of put some music on. And I'd lose track of, you know, days working on that place. And, 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 you know, everyone else around me would always yell at us and say, man, this was taking so long, and this, I can't believe you did that. That took so long. I was like, what do you mean? That just, that took a day, didn't it? Mm-hmm. And it was like a week went by, so. You wouldn't even notice. No. What, what were you playing around the time? I know you got to remember the music. Oh, man, everything, man. I'm the same thing as today. Like, I, I, I like everything. Um, you know, the one thing I haven't listened to a lot lately was, is jazz, and that was probably the biggest love of mine back then uh, for some reason what I type listen a lot. Uh, I mean mainly pretty you know some of the free jazz stuff I can listen to in, in small doses um, but every anything 70 1970 on like it started to get a little bit too out there for me so more of the classic like Blue Note stuff and Bebop you know Charlie Parker anything like that and I can get in like Egyptian stuff and, okay. and or, or, or Afro um, you know or Cuban stuff like that too so all over. I mean, that's a. I like. I like. I do. I, I like everything. But I used to be. I don't know. Maybe that was a really positive influence on Chicago. It had on me as well was jazz music, and uh, for some reason, that's the one thing I I need to get back into. Okay. Now, with that being said, for two years, and this is one of those things I always think about myself with my business and what I'm working on as an artist, and just kind of combining two things. Two years building a place. What, what monies are coming in? Are people looking at you like, what's taking so long? What, what's happening? How are you continuing to go as far as like growing the business and gaining momentum and gaining interest? Yeah, so um, I, there was one night uh, I was working late. And my friend came down. This is my best friend since kindergarten. And he, he lives in the north suburbs. And he's like, I want to start a business. And I'm like, man, you got to start it in Detroit. You got to move down here. It's such a beautiful place. And back back when we bought those buildings there were you know LJ's was there 
mm-hmm. it was really awesome and then there's a recording studio that was basically an abandoned liquor store where a guy lived in and recorded it's much nicer now but it was a, it was a pretty abandoned block uh, you know the Mercury Burger Bar wasn't there Astro wasn't there no. um, you know Sugar House and all these kind of you know we weren't there obviously so no street lights no people um, and uh, we were him and I hit, we were hitting golf balls at the abandoned train station mm-hmm. um, and so we went to go get some the balls this is from where Slows is where the patio is we were hitting from there and so we decided I was like dude you gotta you gotta come check out this train station I'd been in many times I knew easier ways to get in but sure enough I decide let's just go over the fence right here mm-hmm. and uh, we were with one other friend and he got over right away and uh, I got up on the top and then I kind of lost my footing oh, and I got a little razor wire you can see the mm. nice little scar mm. and so um, it was bad uh, a lot of stitches and um, and what ended up happening is then the next day I had to go back to work uh, we had the front of the building off, and so my arm was in like a sling. My left arm was in a sling, and I had, you know, we were putting the subflooring down, so I was nailing, you know, uh, the w- with a nail gun, I was nailing the subfloor down with my right hand, and this guy stopped by, and, you know, he looked pretty well off. He was driving a Cadillac, and he's like looking around, and he's really, you know, his gestures were pretty absurd, like they're just like really big, and you could see he... He wanted to say something, so I went up and said, you know, can I help you, sir? And he's like, he's like what is this going to be? And I told him it was going to be a, um, a, a barbecue restaurant. And so then he had some more pretty big gestures of looking around. And then finally he's like, you know, Dearborn's five miles that way. And it's just like, man, I, mean, you know, I wanted to hit the guy. Well, one, he'd probably beat my ass. But two, you know. Yeah, you only one hand. Yeah, <laughs> one-handed guy. I'm just like <laughs> gritting my teeth. And, you know, I just, you know, that was a lot of people, um, you know. And, of course, when you open something, like, those, it's so difficult right before opening. Everyone, your partners, everyone's, like, at each other. And you could have done more of this. You could have done that. You screwed that up, blah, blah, blah. And it's this really tense time. And so it was hard. And we were, it took a, we had a long build out. And so um, the one thing, because I remember, you know, our, Brian Hertien is an architect that lives in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs the Villages CDC now, but he had his own firm um, for like 20 years, mm-hmm. and he just wanted a good restaurant in the neighborhood. So he charged us um, $700 and started se- instead of 7000 to help us get open. And, he, mm-hmm. and none of our friends would come work for us because they're like, oh, man, you, you really, this abandoned building, you're doing a barbecue restaurant, you guys are going to tank. Mm-hmm. And so no one would come work for us. Um, so all of our staff had no, no training, no, no experience. So... The architect's sitting there the day before opening, teaching our staff, because he worked in the restaurant industry through college, helping teach our staff how to carry trays, you know, of water. So it was, you know, before we opened, it was just like, oh, my God, what have we we done? But, like, literally the next day, like, friends and family, we just kind of opened and said, come, we won't charge anyone because we need feedback and we're going to screw a lot of things up. So the next day, like, 200 people showed up. You know, and right after that, it was like, whoa. And almost every day like from from the get go, we were busy and supported. And and it was like back then, like that was, you know, that was nine years ago um, in September. Hmm. And uh, back then, there weren't that many restaurants opening. You know, it was it was literally front page news, which is kind of ridiculous. But that was the reality nine years ago. Now there's like 
restaurant openings on the same night, you know, which is really great because we need more jobs and we need more, you know, the, in Detroit, sadly, there's more, you know, demand than supply because of, you know, classism or racism or whatever it is mm-hmm. that causes people to be afraid to open businesses here. Um, but I, you know, for me, at what I've experienced, like this is the greatest city to be an entrepreneur. The support that we've received from Detroiters in terms of building it out, getting it done, um, or support from the, you know, we've received from the community coming out has been amazing. Um, and, and, and so I just, yeah, I think that my, my, my thing is since then, because I can't make your barbecue and I can't really run your restaurant, um, I've been able to help other entrepreneurs get their stuff started. And, and hmm. I want more people in Detroit to start businesses and I want uh, more people outside of Detroit to move here and start businesses as well. So That is essentially what I'm always pushing for so for people to get from Detroit is different because the creativity of starting and staying and the purpose. So I would say that a lot went into the beginning so that after it opened, a lot of people were kind of interested within your, your family and your friends, because I know they really wanted to see if you've been working at something for so long, what is this that you've been working on? Yeah. And what were the reviews of that, fam- that first night? What do you remember the views, reviews of people saying? Well, I mean, family and friends are always too nice, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to tell you how great it was, and yeah. then when they get home, they'll you know, talk about it behind your back and tell you the truth. they'll say the truth, right? Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. Um, and so what we got a lot of criticism on was how slow things were, like, you know, because the name was slow, so it was really easy. Um, like how hipster things were, like how there wasn't enough professionalism and too much attitude from, from us as a staff. Um, so it was a, it was a, you know, the, the coolest thing was, is like people gave us time to correct those things and work on mm-hmm. those things and, and make improvements. That's a, you know, it's again, it's about the collaborate, the collaborative nature of Detroiters and the patience of Detroiters. You know, that's, that's why we've been able to do, you know, things, positive things here is because of the help that we've received, the community that we're a part of. And speaking of like cool and staff and working along, we have a mutual friend, my guitar player, my homie. Ball, Eric, yep. Also the father of Oscar, which is that guy. The man. He's amazing. Yep. So absolutely. But amongst that, and Eric's been there since the beginning. He said he remembers when it was like a bourbon slash barbecue bar. That's what he was thinking that the plan was going to be. Yep. That's why it's so much bourbon there, which is not a bad thing. No. It's hard to find good hard liquor. I like hard liquor. It's hard on my liver, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan myself. So. Yeah, it's like I feel like if I'm going to have a drink, I want to feel as though I'm in a Western. Eric, we got lucky with Eric. It was just kind of timing because I think like Fifth Avenue was going out of business. So yep. he was one of the few um, that had experience. He, uh-huh. he was an anchor for us for a long time and is. You know, he's just uh, it's, it's just great to have somebody with his professionalism. And, you know, a, a big thing in what we always told people it's like we get it like you work for us we want you to be passionate we want you to love what you're doing here but you also have a life outside of this whether it's your family mm-hmm. whether it's your friends or like in eric's case he's got like he's 17 autistic. yeah i mean he's, he's, he's so many he's definitely a creative one of the coolest things i think about eric and i want to kind of point on this to you too because anytime you're doing something people are kind of lending their spirit to you and you're leading yeah. in creativity. One of the cool things I, I like about Eric is he has a good vibe of when you lay something out, 
he's like, okay, okay, we can work with that. That's, that's generally Eric's attitude. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, too many, as they say, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, or I don't know, that may be like racially insensitive now. Too many chiefs, not enough Cherokees. I, I, I don't know what the, dis- <laughs> what, the, what the analogy is. I know, I know what you're trying but to But he's good for that. So as you're leading this, bring, keeping that morale high and, and having the right team, because it seems it's all family atmosphere that you had to have from the beginning almost of the people investing so much energy, time, and effort to wanting to see this go. So yeah. I would get choked up at, at uh, like team meetings, I guess, because I was the general manager for the first two and a half years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the effort that people put into that to – you know, to, to make it a great barbecue restaurant for us as the owners and a great barbecue restaurant, in our opinion, hopefully for the, for the community to come enjoy. Um, and of course, you know, the, one of the reasons I started doing this, uh, you know, cause I believe in the idea of, so, um, you know, triple bottom line businesses is like, it's not just about the, the bottom line. It's also about, you know, the environmental impact and the social impact. So this has allowed us to, because of the hard work of, all the people that we we're lucky to work with, you know, this allows us to give back. And I mean, I remember one of the first projects we did was where we're sitting in, in Le Petit Zonk, you know, Charles and Karima came to us and said, you know, we don't know how to open up a restaurant and can you come help us? Did and, you know them already? Uh, no, but I mean, Charles is a black Jewish French guy that moved here from like, Charles is hilarious. Yeah. And it's like, I want to, I don't even think he wants to be funny. Yeah, but want, he's hilarious. Yeah, I wanted to be that guy's friend. I'm like, you are the most interesting <laughs> dude in the world. Like, he moved here from Brazil. He's like, everything about this guy is like, what? He will he's be like on my unicorn. podcast if I think I would understand him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so I I didn't know him at all. Uh-huh. I mean, I knew uh, the Kelly family, mm-hmm. but um, I knew the Michigan citizen, but I hadn't seen any of this stuff. And so, you know, they didn't need my help. They 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 just didn't know how to do it legally. They didn't have yeah. any permits and no architectural drawings and stuff so we were able to do that stuff for free and build some tables for free and stuff just that was the last piece that they didn't have was just tabletops um and so it was uh you know it was great because you know i always talk about this like they did probably more for me than i did for them we it was about you could argue that it was like the services created was probably fifteen thousand dollars worth of free stuff like the architectural drawings permits and the tables but like we were in the New York Times um, for that, like just because we looked at them as neighbors and friends instead of competition. That's cool. Um, I live in this neighborhood, so now I can walk and bike to an awesome creperie. You know, this, that's that makes my personal life better. I also own a couple buildings in this neighborhood, and this increases property value when we have a great restaurant. Versus a lot of buildings are abandoned in Detroit. You know, of course the Kellys wouldn't let that happen, but like. You know, this is now a really dynamic space filled with great people still here. I don't know. It's been like six years or so. Yes, it's it's strange how so much time flies. Because I even remember going to Slows when it was still busy, but it wasn't as busy as it is now. I remember when it'd be myself, Eric, my friend Adair. We'd be at the bar. We'd just be talking after the Tiger game. You could watch an actual sports game there, and I feel like you're bombarding the bar, whereas now... It's rarely you can kind of catch that little time in that space and getting those open spots on the bar. It, it, 
and the way it's flourished, the way Michigan has opened up, I definitely feel that. And even over here with Le Petit Zinc, God bless them because they give me a place for my, my podcast to be. I like the feel. I like the vibe. Love the citizen. The Kelly yeah. family is beautiful. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to the other half of people definitely are always knowing I have an opinion on almost everything, but especially when it comes to slows and everything that I've been hearing, like the first negative thing I've been hearing, and some of it is... I don't know. It's like, I don't know what argument you kind of can stand on because I love my people. Sometimes yeah. I don't like my people. Well, I mean, but I love my people. But one of the arguments is like, Slows is kicking out the homeless people across the street in the park. And I'm like, okay, where did this story come from? Yeah. What verifies this story? What happened? And, and is, Slows is not a person. So who walked outside of Slows? How did it happen? Furthermore, if you owned a restaurant and it was someone that was belligerent, possibly drunk, possibly urinating someplace i'm pretty sure you may escort them away from your place oh, yeah. and i'm we, not i'm yeah. not necessarily saying that's what we've, we've happened or how yeah. but yeah absolutely what, you know when stuff like that happens because it is like a constituency within the success that's looked at in slows as like this white guy gets all of this business and gets all of these accolades and gets all of this gets all of that what like when did that start happening yeah i don't i mean i think we started volunteering in the park um Probably, I want to say about eight, maybe seven years ago, uh-huh. and making improvements for free. And this is something that the nonprofit development um, corporation at the time was Greater Corktown Development Corporations. They asked us to do it, and they knew we'd work for free, so that's that's why. And so we, we said, yeah, you know, they said we, um, they had twenty thousand dollars from Daimler Financial, and they had um, sixty volunteers, mm-hmm. and they said, will you build build a gazebo? Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, sure, but I'd rather ask the community first. Cause like, I don't think I'd go use a gazebo. I live in the neighborhood. I don't know if my neighbors would use a gazebo. Mm-hmm. Why don't we ask folks? And so we not only asked our own community what they wanted, but we asked other Detroiters and we even asked people from outside of the region saying, what do you want in parks in Detroit? Right. Mm-hmm. But it was primarily focused on interviewing folks in the neighborhood. And so it was, you know, it was pretty a wonderful experience, um, including having over a thousand signatures from uh, kids in our, our our neighborhood saying that they wanted a skate park uh, mm-hmm. in in the in the park. So we're still trying our best to raise money for that. But primarily, it's been like landscaping projects and a lot of like grunt work, you know. And uh, it's it's been great. It's been an awesome process, and uh, it's always been about inclusion. You know, my mom and I can't build a whole park. We can't maintain a whole park. That's just not going to happen. So your mom works with you. Oh yeah, she pulls more weeds than anyone. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah, she's she's amazing. She'll she'll walk down the street with a bag, picking up garbage, and then get there and pull weeds all day. She's just a, a beautiful person. Yeah, you got that right. And pulling weeds is some hard work. Yeah, and and so ultimately, um, you know, it's, what it's about is about the community saying. This is what we want because we know the city doesn't have the the, the tax base mm-hmm. to um, you know to f- clean and maintain all the parks. That just mm-hmm. we we can't do that. So it's it's like the Clark Park model is exactly who we followed. We wanted to be just like them, but citizens step up and partner with the city to make a dynamic public space that represents their community. And so that's always been the goal, and by no means has it been a goal that to kick out any homeless folks if anything we've made it nicer for them to be in the park because we've cleaned it up mm-hmm. so they're welcome to be there as much as they want to be there 
um, you know, there is an organization, the Ark Foundation, that feeds folks and clothes folks there. And we love them. They're awesome. Karen's, you know, I, I consider her a friend. She moved across the other side of the park on her own um, mm-hmm. instead of being across from the Mercury Burger Bar when they opened up. And I, I didn't ask her to do that. She made that decision. So if she wants to come back to the other side of the park, please do. Um, in, in terms of the, you know, the homeless population here, I, I have a certain attitude um, about it, which is I get it. People need help um, and we should help them but we should also be thinking about sustainable help for them. Like, how can we empower them? Like, I, I work, um, some, some folks that are in one of our projects, a nonprofit that we run called Pony Ride, mm-hmm. um, I get to, I'm lucky to work with the, the women of the empowerment plan every day. And so we have 18 homeless, uh, formerly homeless, fortunately, um, women working there. These are single moms that are coming out of, mainly out of cots. Um, and so it's, uh, to me, you know, Sometimes you get these activists, you know, that scream and yell a lot without knowing a thing about it. Um, and you also get a lot of people that, you know, maybe are threatened by uh, uh, new ideas. And like Veronica was a junior in college when she started that program. And she's done more than people that have PhDs and have been working in the field for 40 years for the homeless population here. I just think it's amazing that in a couple of years she's got 18 women off the streets and into jobs and she still does help you know she makes coats for the homeless that become sleeping bags so Mm. she's still helping the homeless but way more importantly than helping the homeless is about like ending homelessness like how can we do that for people how can we um how can we address the fact that you know the the mentally ill have been forced out on our streets and you know there's there's a lot of people that are doing that you know that so i yeah whatever crazy people want to say about me that they've never met me and they don't know what we're doing they can keep going. I'm going to keep doing what I do and trying to be a positive impact. You know? That's a greater attitude about it even than I sometimes have about it because that's really kind of my angle in so many discussions. It's like we need to welcome everyone into a room, get the point of view and perspective, and not just expect that my perspective matters more because I've been here longer or because I'm poor and I don't have anything or because I do have a business or because I'm rich or because I can give opportunities or because just so many different things you know eventually I want to get Dan Gilbert to sit in this same in the same podcast and ask him some of these same questions because it's a lot of polarizing looks at what's happening in the city and some of it I think is a little bit of just out of context because it's no respect for the work that everybody's doing and in the greater scheme like the way that you see the zinc helping slows vice versa the more that detroit can have opportunities for everyone the better it is for everyone connected to the city of detroit that's how i see it yep absolutely i mean you know why we were successful at slows is because the people here that were before us and the businesses that were here before us, the citizens that were here that support us, but also the people that came after us and the businesses that came after mm-hmm. us. I love them all. You know, mm-hmm. to me, we're all human beings and citizens. Like, if you got a Detroit address, you vote here. You have the right to voice your opinion. You have the right to, you know, well, cast the vote, you know, do whatever you want. I, you know, to me, it shouldn't be about, oh, I lived here, you know, one year, I lived here 10 years, I lived here 50 years. That's, that kind of meter is, is kind of crazy to me. 
Yeah, I think it's a antiquated model and even in that whole hipster discussion too, because slows is looked at and you're labeled and, and I think it's one of the coolest things when I get into this discussion a whole lot because the gentrification discussion, we sat on a panel about gentrification yeah. and it was so cool because I'm like, man, you and George and Amdi kind of were saying some of the things that I, that I feel like you have a lot of opportunities. You've met a lot of people across the world, but one of the points I really remember saying is, but I don't necessarily need your world contacts. I can develop my own. And it's so many opportunities for everyone to have. It's not just like a prism of if I can't get the grant that Phil Cooley had, then I'm not able to get a grant. I'm, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a million ways to do so many different things. But in, in that same perspective, too, it's a new type of Detroiter, like the quote unquote label of white people now in the city of Detroit. It's not the white people that for so long weren't gonna come back because that perspective is so different. I was a truck driver, surprisingly, <laughs> for a second. And it's, I, it's, it's definitely a lot of prejudice and I think that prejudice kind of comes from ignorance and not interacting so much with black people. And if the only black people you interact with are like on television, yeah. you may not have necessarily the greatest image of black people. So I realize there are, a, there's a strong constituency of that, but a lot of the, quote unquote hipster movement or white people moving back or the gentrification, that's not what my father and grandfather looked at as it's it's some it's a whole new class of creative people. And it's black people in that group too that are oh, just yeah. doing different things and seeing different opportunity and in conferences and in groups and doing things like these just strange shops and stuff like that. Like more so going on a, on a tangent, no. but the question more so is, as you've been a part of this quote unquote movement, like, has it surprised you to see all of these artists come back to the city of Detroit or what's been happening? No, not at all. I mean, I, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm mobile. I, I could leave here if I wanted to. I choose to be here because this is one of the most amazing places mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've lived in and I've lived in a lot of great cities. Um, this is the most amazing place and and so i think people you know art art can be a very singular expression but more often than not it's about people coming together and creating something amazing and this is the place where i think a lot of people are seeing that because detroiters do less with more they work together we're forced to work together because we have to you know we're, we we have less resources than most people and therefore we you know it's that stone soup you know we just bring the ingredients and make something beautiful. And so I think that it, it doesn't surprise me and it won't continue to surprise me. And you know, it also doesn't surprise me as we're starting to get deeper in the neighborhoods and see more things happening. That's, there's not as much light that's just shined on like the five individuals like myself that got a ton of credit. Mm -hmm. um, but we're starting to see the reality of Detroit, which is like, this is a beautiful, um, incredible, incredibly talented city um and so I'm, I'm i think you know we're only to see more stories and, and and share more successes over in the next years and i you know i'm concerned that we're having the wrong conversation gentrification is such a like hot you know button issue and people mm -hmm. start screaming and yelling at each other about it yeah and that like divides us and makes things worse and what i want to do is say like you know, I personally don't want to live in a homogenized community that displaces people. No. I'm not interested in that at all. 
I, I moved to Detroit 12 years ago. That's the Detroit I love, you know. And so I want it to continue to be that Detroit. So how do we, you know, embrace this all boats ride with the tide, you know, all boats ride with, uh, rise with the tide, excuse me. You know, how can we make sure that all Detroiters feel that they're part of the amazing things, the opportunities that are here? Because the reality is if you look at the stats, like we're still losing population. Although there are a lot of new folks coming here, but we are losing population because a lot of Detroiters are leaving saying this this isn't an opportunity. I, and that's really one of the biggest arguments I've always had. I, a lot of people look at it like, I want to be here too. I see myself staying here for a long time, but a lot of people don't see opportunity. And I can't necessarily stress to them that it is opportunity. But as you said, when you came here 12 years ago, you couldn't find a job. Yeah. And that's real. Yeah. You, you were working as a part-time janitor in a bar that's like talk about starting yeah stock at the beginning stock boy for made in detroit after that you know mm. sorting t-shirts for robert stanzer back when he owned the company before kid rock bought it mm -hmm. i was just yeah you did whatever you could but more importantly than like it was it was people that was, i mean like i mean i remember one of the uh first parties i hosted for some reason i had a handle of jim beam so everyone came over to my house because I had Jim Beam. <laughs> and um, I, I had a piano in my house. My mom gave me her piano. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I it was S Steve Nawara's girlfriend at the time. It was Erin Ruth. She's a musician. And she, she was playing Summertime on the, the piano. And some guy that was walking down the hall was a jazz trumpeter. Like, he came in and started playing. Like, I mean, there were so many folks. There's... Uh, Esquire, I don't know if you ever remember him. He's a he's a white Jewish rapper. He's mm -hmm. he's amazing. He's okay. a gay guy. Oh, best show ever. He's always got these go-go dancers with him. Mm -hmm. Amazing, amazing show. He was there rapping. It was I mean, it was just like all these people from all over, like and, and like I I've never had experiences like this anywhere in the world. The different talents, the diverse talents, you know, all coming together over a handle of Jim Beam. Mm -hmm. Um and, and, you know, these are Steve Nawara, who is there. He's in Pony Ride's basement. He's in his recording studio. He's been a friend of mine since mm -hmm. then, that day, you know. And so it's, uh, it's always been, for me anyways, about the people here. And that's why I live here and stay here. And I think that's the greatest asset. I say that's one of my lines in my favorite song. It's not even titled yet, but it's like, you know, you can go many places, but the people are eclectic. Either love yeah. it or hate it, but you got a perspective, you know, and we try to bottle it up. You know how the trade is. It can't be followed by much. And I just keep rapping. But one of my favorite little stanzas of a song, because I do think it's that. It's the people here and the opinions about so many just the flood the other day. Because there was this big flood, and if you've been watching the news, and just the different people's perspectives on the news and when you walk in and the way they say it and just... It's a different type of place, as my website is called. Detroit is different. And just like that name, you can take it in many ways. You can take Detroit so many different ways. Because you can live here, almost like how people say New York is in the boroughs. Detroit's like a block over. You can have a whole different... You can be next door to somebody and have a whole different reality of yep. what you see, how you see it, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you can't, the, my thing is like not imposing myself or 
and I feel none of us should impose what we want on other people. Like, mm-hmm. why well, is like the folks doing urban ag here? Uh-huh. You know, it's in every neighborhood, northwest, east side, southwest. You go everywhere. You know, there's a lot of folks doing it in Osborne, and and it's beautiful. I love it. It's not for me. I'm not going to live on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, no. But I'm not going to tell other people what to do, and that's the, that's the coolest thing. Is like there is something for everybody here. There's a, and and it's not like where I've lived where it's like all right well th- I'm an urban ag guy or girl and that's 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 all the that I'm interested in hanging out with and learning from where that's I, I feel like I've grown in this city and learned so much from its citizens in this this place because those urban ag people you know, are so welcoming and open you know it's every scene here is welcoming and open if you're honest and sincere people take you in in Detroit it's, it's pretty beautiful now, as you talk about that, let's let's move to closing out a couple big questions. Because there's so many people that are listening like, man, I really want to be in that position. I really want to be in that position, which I really don't think that any business should focus on another business. But if you were to give some advice of getting started here in any business in Detroit, what would you say the first step for most people should be? So for me, it's about first and foremost finding what your passion is um you you can't do anything without being passionate about it mm-hmm. you can have many passions so mm-hmm. like I, I hopefully i'm not just labeled as a restaurateur or a barbecue guy because i love many things right i would like my barbecue guy to be fatter but yeah well that's, that's why i'm not making it <laughs> like so i'm not your chef i thought at first i was going to be I started working with Brian, and then it was embarrassed. After two times cooking with him, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the front of the house and you get some work about, done. <laughs> you need about 120 more pounds. I know. I want you to look like old Rex Ryan. <laughs> I'm working. I told you how skinny I was when I moved here, man. I'm still putting on that weight. Don't worry. I'll get there. Can't be buying barbecue from a skinny guy. That's a Kari <laughs> Frazier statement. Mark, mark it down. <laughs> yeah. Don't put my face on the sauce. Like, I know, it's like you walking out the aisle and you say, oh, mm-mm. Who's this he nerd? don't even eat yeah. his own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're making vegan barbecue, it's like, mm, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try this. <laughs> we had to switch gears then. No, but uh, yeah, I, I think being passionate about it, that's the most important thing. And then after that, like, my thing is, like, I really preach, and I've said this many times during the podcast, is like this triple bottom line idea is like, making sure that it is that you are uh, a positive impact um, on the environment and that you are you will be a positive impact on, on the um, on your community is really important so uh, and that's it's, it's hard um, and it's also it can be gimmicky and kind of crazy right now you know Tom's shoes like blew up and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing it's not perfect by any means but he learned from the some of the things that he was doing but you know the main thing is is that um, what other when other people saw his success, you know, they they just latch. I remember Skechers was often and the exact same thing. You know, it's just like all of a sudden all these folks like started jumping in and it was a became marketing instead of like soul. And so I think here this this gives you an opportunity to like be true and honest about like who you are and what you do. And so I I I, I believe that think about like how you want to be a part of your community and how you want to you know um, realistically hopefully be supportive you know for me 
we we didn't do it for the first couple of years because we couldn't afford to. You know, we were I ate barbecue like I think fifteen times a week. You know, because it was all I ate our own food. You know, it I've worked. Had, uh, and that was I that. had a summer the summer before truck driving. I had to save up the money to go to school, and I was delivering pizzas at Pizza Hut. Ate a lot of I pizza. I had a whole, eh, eh. but you'd be surprised the differences between pan, thin, and deep dish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so you know, once we could afford to, it was it was been it's been great for us. It's addictive, you know, to to be able to um, support somebody else and see them start their own business, see somebody enjoy a public space. You know, we we threw some some great free concerts in the park. Speaking of. Uh, truck driving school i don't know if you know boldy james at all if you ever yeah you know, yeah so he he was one of the many artists that uh you know performed there so all these sorts of things like that's that's to me like it, as important about slow's barbecue is the way that we've been able to be part of a community because they they've given so much to us okay now we're gonna co- close out three last questions first one if you could rename what word, what would it be man that's a difficult question. Rename Woodward. Oh man. Okay. So if it were if it were after a person, um, I, I gotta. I would say. Since it's D- my Detroit hero would be um, Ken Cockrell Senior. I would say, mm-hmm. um, as a civil rights leader, I think he's one of the most important people, uh, to this area. So if it were after a person. I think he'd be the most appropriate, but I'm a weirdo, man. We we named our our nonprofit Pony Ride, so I'd probably name it something weird and psychedelic. Let me let I, me know what would it be. <laughs> oh man, I, that it took us, I think, six months to come up with that name. I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm just gonna Ken Cockrell Senior Drive or whatever. Okay. We'll just we'll just do that. This is a real strange question. For some reason, this alien speaks English, but an alien comes down, takes form of a human being, wants you to take him on a tour of Detroit, what's the first place you take him? First place? Jeez. Man, well, I moved here for a lot of reasons, I guess, but Tyree Guyton, I mean, the Heidelberg Project, to me, being so in love with art and then in like studying so many shiny things, like, I get it. I love Damien Hurst and I love Jeff Koons, but like that just doesn't speak to me as much as Tyree Guyton's work. When, when a person can can use um, their passion, their craft to to make a positive impact on community the way that they have there, um, I think the Heidelberg still to this day is one of my favorite things in Detroit, and it's in every tour that I do. So um, I'm gonna have to go. Yeah, the Heidelberg project. Okay, and then the last one. It's more so like a. a, a a more creative place you could build a home it can be anywhere in the city where do you put it well man we just bought a firehouse i'm moving into i should just be content with that um so one thing i i've lived in corktown my whole the 12 years i've lived here mm-hmm. so because slows is there and the nonprofit we run pony rides there and we do a lot of work in roosevelt park Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I could, I could be obnoxious and say I'm going to move into the train station just for... You can do that. Yeah, right. um, I will hope you do a lot of renovations. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That might, <laughs> that might be a little bit out of my But I'm talking, it, it's, uh, it's creative, so you can do it. 
Um, yeah. Train man. station. Boy, that would be anywhere in Detroit. Like this is super fantasy stuff. Um, man. I told you I was a Tigers nerd, so okay. maybe I'm moving into Tiger Stadium, build myself a little. That would be dope. <laughs> that would be dope. I could see it. I, yeah, I it would ruin it. it for me. And then I'd be, I'd start hating the Tigers. I'd get sick of it. So, nah, Well, I have a love for the Tigers as well. This is, I feel this is the year. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I, I love old historic buildings. So, mm-hmm. And, yes, by the way. Uh, this is the year. I'm, I'm, I'm not down on the Tigers. I know they're playing terrible right now, but I, I agree. But that's with how you. baseball is. It's, it's, it's an ebb and flow. Yep. Right now it's ebbing. Yep. We gonna flow right into the postseason Ex- when we need to. We are gonna get that rhythm going. I think Verlander's over whatever heartbreak he was going through. Yep. We have three great starting pitchers. Yeah. Or if anyone knows Kate Upton, maybe they can just get back together until October, November, something like that. Nah, man. We definitely need her on the podcast. <laughs> Probably inside the rapper studio podcast. <laughs> so that's pretty much everything. Thank you so much. We're going to start it off with Prince. We're about to go down the street because we do got to get a photo. Awesome. That works perfect. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much, Gary.